culture? I believe the answer is weak faith and weaker imagination. The powerful Hebraic culture in which religion found a way to speak has also been repressed. Can we imagine a rabbi, priest, or professor of religion having authored such subtle and ironic poetic text as Jonah or Ruth? Do we know of any religious writers who could equal the poetry in Psalms or Isaiah? As we reclaim the voices of these writers, a new vision of the origins of Western culture emerges to refresh the spirit and revise our ideas of how to learn from the past. The Hebrew poets of the Bible are more like our writers today than the conventional religious stereotypes. The representations of God among the biblical poets varied as much as it still does among modern writers, and several books, from Ecclesiastes to Esther to Judith, are almost indifferent to God or religion. These books and parts of many others make up an imaginative literature greater than the Hebrew Bible itself, including the Apocrypha and other non-canonical works. Psalms, Isaiah, the books of the other prophets, and Job and Jonah are among those abundant with differing visions of God. The poets who wrote these books constitute only a fraction of a great culture of writers, poets of primarily literary texts, many of whose works have been lost along with their names. To discover the living voices of the poets, 3,000 years old in some cases, I needed to reimagine myself as a writer, determined and bound by culture, grappling for freedom from convention. The mandates of conventional religion exist in any age. For the earliest and latest biblical poets, the impinging religion might have been pagan. Today, it is just as likely to be Judeo-Christian. The biblical prophets are the most famous examples of poets who resisted the prevailing conventions. All the Bible's poets question the habits of their audience in quietly provocative ways. Just as yesterday's cutting edge can today be pedestrian, and yesterday's convention can already be no longer habitual, I want to keep in mind what a Hebrew poet was up against. Readers would have been moved only by the power of their own sentiments and not by the writer's vision if the poet merely followed custom. Instead, he stays one step ahead of the reader. Where a cliché is expected, it is broken, and where grandiosity is expected, something familiar and simple pops up. And even a cliché, when unexpected, can come back to life. To imagine any biblical poet as human... To make him or her personal, I have to consider what conventions he is called to struggle against. To do this, I myself have to break with scholarly convention and consider the limitations of my own personal history, particularly because the Bible permeates so many levels of our culture. Many scholars shrink from this, sometimes out of fear of exposure, sometimes because they fear a kind of self-witnessing that resembles a confession of faith. And yet such a faith is necessary for a poet. It's his calling, basic to the bond between reader and writer. It's a reaching for sure, a need to reach out. There is certainly helplessness in it, and grandiosity as well. The mixture may differ in writers and in ages, 
but the formula remains the same. It helps to remember how personal the early poets of the Bible could be, using God's names in familiar, often punning ways. The convention of substituting Lord or God for the deity came later. The poets of the European Renaissance adopted a similar high-minded playfulness toward their patrons and muses. The poet of Jonah even caricatured her own dependence on a patron-like God. It's in the textual irony of Jonah that I begin to hear the author's voice as a woman's, as she attempted to override the masculine clichés of prophecy. True poetry unfolds the author's presence, male or female, as an artistic force and not a passive vehicle for doctrine. I will explain why one of the authors of Lamentations was probably a woman, as were the authors of Judith and Jonah, while the author of the Song of Solomon was a man, and most likely the original King Solomon himself, though a woman very likely collaborated with him. Conventional religion emphasized patriarchal views, and so have conventional scholars, who tend to dwell on rules they find in the text. A poet, on the other hand, is moved by the original author's creativity. And in the Bible, that art almost always appears unconventional, especially after the narrow ways we've been taught to read it. The Poet's Voice When I became an adolescent poet, I was not so much writing poetry as translating a memory of poetry, of how I heard the Hebrew Psalms in childhood, a speaking to God, chanted gently, as if God liked rhyme and lullaby, as if he were my parents' fathers and he was singing through them. I can remember standing no higher than my father's prayer shawl fringes, watching him sing the psalms to himself in synagogue. I continue to think of poems as translations, even translations of a child's cries, just as the Bible psalms will often cry out to mother and father in between the murmuring and chanting. Those cries of the inner child are a poet's proof that the unconscious is being heard. Poetry is often about rediscovering an original voice. This first voice remains within, never discarded, but slowly growing anonymous, until we don't hear ourselves in it. As a child sitting beside my father in synagogue, did I want to know what the anonymous Hebrew text meant? No. I just wanted to be next to my father, even as I began counting the light bulbs in the chandeliers. I was glad he was doing the praying, because I didn't want to. Yet as long as he participated, I felt part of the team. God was part of that team also, the head of it, perhaps. God, in a way, was like my mother, an invisible presence, free to stay at home. Also like Dad's father and mother, whose names were on a brass plate on the huge wall of the deceased, a tiny light bulb beside each family name. The little bulbs burned throughout the week on which a family death day was remembered. I loved those lights, and loved reading the names beside them. My desire was for connection, continuity. As I grew older, and the biblical words grew plainer before my eyes, the Hebrew texts themselves connected me to all the family names extending into the past. 
Are they texts, or are they voices? The first voice I discovered in them was my own. If I could have written this psalm, I told myself as a young poet, I would be deeply satisfied. Later, the voice within the text emerged, but only after I learned to distinguish the literary voice from the author's intentions. How can I know the author's intentions? I can only imagine them. But if I fail to imagine them, I miss a deep continuity preserved by great ancient poetry. Our science has improved, yet today I can still put aside pretenses of progress when I hear the personal speech of the past. If you don't read poetry, an impersonal incantatory utterance, the chanting I first heard in the synagogue, may be enough. For myself, I had to discover the many human voices behind the liturgy. I had to hear the original poems. The Call I was drawn to reconsider the nature of inspiration as I worked on A Poet's Bible. I realized that we are indoctrinated against imagining the relationship between biblical verse and contemporary poetry. Since a mere vehicle of a man or a didactic writer could hardly have created the vivid masterpieces in the Bible, the conviction grew in me that biblical poets nourished a sense of awe toward literary talent that resembles our own. When their artistic calling is obscured, the playfulness in the text seems to disappear, along with the creative modes that produce irony, humor, anguish, and ambiguity. After focusing on imagining the authors, I considered the sources from which their inspiration flowed. I began to recognize that in each case...